KXNO. Welcome back into the 11 o'clock hour. It's Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Still to come this hour, we'll get to our buddy Scott Darkerman. Uh, he, along with many, were in Indianapolis last week for the Combine. Of course, you can read Doc at The Athletic. Barstool Sports is where you'll find our next guest. He covers the uh, college basketball, also the NBA draft, which is, uh, I-, I think, very timely because I want to get a Tyrese Halliburton ah, question. I in. see where you're going. Absolutely. Uh, Bobby, uh, Trent Condon, Ken Miller, thanks for coming on. How are you? Good, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Well, let's start with Tyrese Halliburton. I know that, you know, you wear a draft hat, uh, NBA draft hat over there at Barstool Sports and Halliburton out for the remainder of the season and was such a huge piece uh, of that Cyclone team this year. Um, your thoughts? We see a lot of speculation that he's clearly uh, going to be in the lottery. We've seen as high as four. When you watch Tyrese Halliburton and where, where do you have him pegged? I'm anxious to hear your take on the Cyclone. He's a lottery pick for sure for me this year. Um, I don't think he's as high as four. I wouldn't. I don't think he's one of the four best college prospects. Um, obviously, this year is kind of international heavy. Uh, but I, you know, I'd have him behind Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, uh, Obi Toppin, Cole Anthony, and then he's in that group. And, and honestly, I'd probably have Tyrese Maxey in front of him. But he's right there. I mean, if you tell me he goes. And obviously, it depends on on needs and trades and everything like that. But if you tell me he goes anywhere from seven to twelve, feels right. And and I know that's kind of a wide range, but he's not in that top five. He's in the. I think he's a little bit higher than the back end of the lottery. So kind of like right in that middle lottery spot is, is just feels right for him this year. Riggs, uh, let's go another step with the draft and morph into the college basketball with Iowa and Luca Garza. He's putting together a phenomenal yeah. season. But people wonder how his game translates to the next level. If we maybe could see a national player of the year come back for a senior year, something unheard of in college basketball. When you look at him, not as a college player, but as a prospect, knowing that it is a down draft this year overall, too, what do you think, A, the decision for Garza should be, could be, going that direction, and and how he would work in today's NBA? I don't want to tell him what he should do. I just don't know what's out there for him. Um, listen, he's... He's a, he's a great college player. There's no doubting that. You know, he's, he's going to be a unanimous All-American, first-team All-American. But he's a slow-footed big guy who can't really play defense. And on the flip side, he's awesome offensively. Like, he can stretch the floor. So he does have something that, you know, can kind of grasp at uh, a front office and say, well, look what he's excellent at. And that is obviously the offensive side where he has a wide array of post moves. He can stretch the floor. Um, but – and he's big. Like, he is a legit seven-footer. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if he wants to play overseas where he probably could make a good amount of money. I don't know if he wants to do a two-way deal, which is probably the likelihood. I don't think he's getting drafted. Um, I don't think he's – I don't want to say he's necessarily not close to the top 60, but when you factor in all the international guys and everything like that, I don't know. He's he's just not there for me if I'm in, in, an NBA front office guy. I don't want to like deter him, like make people think I'm saying anything negative about him. Again, he's a great college player. Just something it just that doesn't always translate to the NBA. Uh, Bobby Regan is our guest, Barstool Sports. Uh, I want let's let's get to the uh, what we saw this past well 
to be honest, all season long in college yeah. basketball, and that's finding uh, that's finding that team that maybe stands out above the others. I mean, we saw a ton of carnage again this past weekend. I think it's going to make for a fascinating tournament. I'm good with not knowing, you know, well, it's Kentucky. Well, this year it's going to be Duke. I clearly, it looks like Kansas at this point, uh, but certainly I wouldn't bet a lot of money on the Jayhawks. When you look at college basketball, is this going to make for a better tournament not knowing... Uh, well, knowing that there's so much potential uh, teams getting upset in this thing. I don't know if it's better because it's a lot of bad basketball. <laughs> and it's just, it's just the way it's a down year. But it's, it's been entertaining to pack, right? Like every every night, pretty much, you go in going, all right, well, what ranked team is going to lose to an unranked team today? And that's going to be the fun part of the NCAA tournament is I do think it's going to kind of play out where you have the upsets early, but I do think you're going to see, like the Final Four, I don't think you're going to see a 7 and 8, you know, a, a, a 4 seed and a, a 10 seed. I think you're going to see more top 3 seeds making it. But I think you see mayhem early, which is kind of the perfect tournament. If you look at it, like, you know, I, I, people don't want to see, people say they like Cinderella, but how many people really love BY, or BCU versus Butler in the Final Four back in 2011? You still want to see like Cinderella versus Goliath. Um, so I think there is going to be mayhem. I, I am looking forward to that. But at the same time, I uh, I, I think it's going to be fun. I, I just hope we see good basketball because that's that's my concern as someone who, who likes basketball. Speaking of good basketball, I know you watch a lot of Kentucky. The Wildcats are good. It feels like they are. It feels like a Calipari team that is getting better. They have the awful loss to Evansville, who looked awful during MVC play this year, and a lot of turmoil, obviously, with that program. Tell us about the Wildcats, though. Can this team not get to a Final Four? Can they win it all? Yeah, I think they can. Um, and the reason why is they have great guard play. Um, it's not just uh, Emmanuel Quickly, who has turned into a, you know, I think like a third-team All-American, but Tyrese Maxey, the, the freshman who, you know, is a top-ten recruit, He's kind of now figuring college life out. He's really picking over games late. You know, he, he was excellent on Saturday against Auburn. Uh, when you have that combined with Ashton Higgins, who's, you know, he's taken a little bit of a downturn lately, but when you have those three in the backcourt, you have Nick Richards, might be the most improved player in the country, um, under center. Mm-hmm. It's it just, can they get that, that fifth guy in their four spot to, to kind of figure it out? But, you know, it, when you look at this year, this is a team that can absolutely win it because they are, like you said, outside of Kansas, how many teams do you really feel confident in saying, you know, let's cuddle them into the Final Four? Hmm. It seems like uh, and Trent and I, well, I don't want to speak for Trent, but I certainly wasn't very uh, high on Michigan State's chances a couple of weeks yeah. ago. I didn't think that for the first time ever maybe they'd lost that proverbial switch that they seemed to turn uh, middle of February into March. Well, it's been turned now. Uh, the win against Maryland uh, was eye-opening to me. Um, where are you on Michigan State? This feels like, you know what, uh, don't look now, here comes Izzo. So I'm kind of conflicted on Michigan State. On one hand, they have Cassius Winston. When you have Cassius Winston, you have a chance at any game. On the other hand, Malik Hall was the main reason why they beat Maryland. For sure. He's shown up for one and a half games this year. Yeah. The second half of Seton Hall and Maryland. Not shockingly, those are their two best wins. If Malik Hall shows up, I think they're there. I just don't trust him showing up. Um, it kind of feels like Michigan State feels like you could tell me that you know they're a four seed and they're playing Old Dominion four thirteen. And we're like, ah, oh, wait for Kansas, and they lose to Old Dominion. Or 
you can tell me that Cassius Winston goes berserk and gets into a Final Four, and then Malik Hall shows up, Rocket Watts shows up, and they win, win it all. I'm so I might be more conflicted on Michigan State than any other team in the country right now. Interesting. Gonzaga, real quick, less than a minute. Where are you on the Zags? They're good. They're really good. I love them a lot. Um, they have top-end talent. But Killian Tillis, as long as he stays healthy yeah. with his ability to be that kind of matchup nightmare with the ability to stretch the floor, um, I mean, they are one of those top you know, four players in the country, out of doubt. But, you know, don't stop saying they play in the TC. They don't play anybody. They are really good. No question. Bobby Regan, Barstool Sports. Bobby, thanks for giving us a few minutes. Appreciate it. No problem, guys. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Bobby Regan uh, from Barstool Sports. Good info on Luca Garza. Yes. Uh, I think, Trent, that that's kind of the consensus with NBA guys mm-hmm. and Tyrese Halliburton. I think 7-12 to 12 is probably... Makes sense. It does to me. He'll have a chance to go through the combine and mm-hmm. do that part of it. He'll be healthy at that point. We'll see workout-wise where he's going to be. But yeah, he's going to be at minimum. I mean... Maybe he's slow to come around from the injury. He's still a top 20 pick, I think, at oh, minimum. Yeah, I would be shocked if he's not in the lottery. But, yes, to your point, boy, if he falls that far, then a lot of people missed. A lot of people missed. I mean, missed where they projected him. I'm not well, saying he's going to he live had up an injury. to it. True. So th- I think that's kind of more where I'm going with the impact here. And they weren't very good with him. You know, when those were coming out, they were still, eh, maybe Iowa State will figure it out and get going. That obviously never happened as he had the injury happen there. But, yeah, I think at minimum, he's a first-rounder. And that's mm-hmm. the most important part is being that locked first-rounder, get that guaranteed money. Absolutely. All right, I guarantee you Scott Dockerman's going to join the program next. Want to take that bet? I, I like it. <laughs> Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. He's back from the Combine. By the way, him and Mark Morehouse, if you're fans of those two, they're on Iowa Podcast. They were both in Indianapolis. They're taping one today. Uh, they'll be, well, we'll ask Doc uh, when's it coming up, but I assume it. They'll, be able, they'll turn that bad boy around uh, the same day. We're back with Scott Dockerman. High school basketball coming up. Southeast Polka Johnson, about 11.45, live from Wells Fargo Arena. Trent will have that. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Final segment before we get you down to Wells Fargo Arena. High school girls basketball coming up here. Trent will have the call, but he's going to sit in here one more segment with me before we throw it to him. Uh, let's get Scott Darkman from The Athletic. He spent a significant chunk of last week in Indianapolis watching the Combine. We'll do that. We'll do the Hawks as they get set to host Purdue on Senior Day tomorrow. Uh, Scott, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. Scott Dockerman, how are you? You know, I'm having a great Monday. It's beautiful weather and uh, ready for the girls' basketball tournament. Yeah, it should be, uh, should be a fun time. We'll have plenty of coverage on that. A lot of coverage coming up on uh, Thursday. We've got a game here this morning. Well, Doc, let's get into your week from last week. I do want to spend some time uh, on the basketball. I know you were uh, at Carver Hawkeye over the weekend, so but let's get back into Indianapolis and kind of recap the week as far as the Hawkeyes are concerned. And it started uh, with Nate Stanley and Tristan Wurst. Those were seemingly two of the first Hawkeyes to strut their stuff. Let's start with the QB, Nate Stanley. What were some of the whispers, Doc, after he did his thing uh, as far as some of the uh, some of the feedback that you heard, whether secondhand or, you know, in interviews with uh, some NFL personnel? What are they saying about Stanley? You know, Stanley's kind of the ultimate under-the-radar candidate that I think a lot of teams like. And, uh, you know, he's really pretty impressive in a lot of his drills. I mean, be able to, to run the way he did and uh you know i think he was he was fourth in the or fifth i'm sorry in the 20 
uh, in the 20-yard shuttle. That's impressive for somebody that big. He ran a 4.81, you know, which nobody really would have guessed from Nate Stanley. And, and so the workout part of it was really good. He had big hand size. He's, you know, his mechanics are a little bit different. But uh, I think right now it's, it's about probably for the people that want somebody like Stanley. And he's probably in that fourth to sixth round range. It's about kind of investigating the tape and, and kind of marrying it with the uh, statistics. But, you know, he was slimmed down. He lost about eight pounds, and, and he just he, he looked sleeker. And I think that was really important because he was really bulked up at Iowa. Big dude, fourth, fifth round is – what's the top end if everything breaks right? Of course, we saw this with C.J. Beathard. He was kind of pegged in that fifth to sixth round, but Shanahan fell in love with him. We don't know about anything like that quite yet, but – what would you say, at least the general consensus is at this point, of where he's going to end up round-wise? I think he could go as high as the third. And, and simply put, because you know, you're going to see, I think, about six guys go in the first to the top half of the second round. And then once you get out of that, it's kind of like, who's your favorite quarterback? Who fits your system the most? Uh, who have you investigated? And, and really, there's no clear consensus. And if somebody says there are, there is. They're lying to you. Right. So, you know, it's somebody like let's let's say the Minnesota Vikings decide. You know, we're we're going to need somebody to back up uh, Kirk Cousins. We want somebody who's a pro style quarterback that fits our system the best. Who's been in, in a pro style offense. Nate Stanley's your guy, and you don't want to wait. You know, an extra round for a quarterback if you like him and you think he has the potential to you know help you either right away as a backup or potentially long term. So. I think he's got a chance to go in that third round the way Beathard did because you just don't want to wait too long and get stuck with somebody you don't want. So I would say, you know, back after the third round, you know, he's going to grade out as probably a fifth rounder, but quarterbacks always get forced up. So I think he's got a chance to to go up a little higher than everybody kind of projects. One more on Nate Stanley, then we'll get to some of the other Hawks that were there. You wrote a piece earlier uh, sometime last week, Doc, and I'm not even going to try to say Tony's last name, uh, but but this is the guy that's taken Nate Stanley and has really coached him and prepared him uh, for the uh, for the NFL Combine. Uh, took place in New Jersey. What can you tell us about Tony, uh, and how much, did Nate, how much does Nate Stanley uh, credit him uh, for his uh, advancement as the uh, Combine? By Junior, he credits him for a significant amount. Tony Rassiopi, and and it's really, uh, you know, all quarterbacks do this. It's just I think what Nate said about you know he picked his mechanics, uh, and Iowa really doesn't have somebody dedicated to that. Kind of struck Iowa fans the wrong way, and and really it's just a matter of making those improvements. And and in some ways, this is just about hey, find somebody who's really good at this and go do it. Because Nate Stanley skipped the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl to go and work on his mechanics because he felt like that was the most important part of his game that was lacking. And so, uh, you know, it, the, the quarterback guru, Tony, he, it, he said he fixed it within three days. And really, again, when you look at Iowa and what they have to do, just like any college program, mechanics are a part of it. You can, Footwork is really important, maybe more important than mechanics. And then, Trying to get the offense set, you know, game after game after game. That that's so. This guy is just focused on one aspect of Stanley's game. He seems to really be excited about the, the possibilities, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, you know if teams really like him. And after what they saw the other night, he seemed to throw the ball well. 
And then, of course, this pro day is coming up in a couple weeks. Tristan Wurz blew up. Certainly not a surprise, I think, to anybody that knows Iowa football. But on the national scale, I think it surprised a lot of people there. He helped himself out a ton. Your thoughts on Wurz overall? Oh, man. You know, we, <laughs> we knew that he was capable of doing that, and he did. You know, it was just incredible the way he was able to, you know, I mean, four eight five in the 40, and his vertical jump was literally off the charts. It was <laughs> beyond what any offensive lineman has ever done. His broad jump was, what, five inches beyond any other lineman. I think we all knew he was capable of a performance like that, and he showed it. And I think what it does is it kind of puts to rest for, you know, at least for a while, the whole well, maybe he could be a guard. No, you know, you, you, the most important part of a, being an offensive lineman is to protect the quarterback against those skilled athletic edge rushers. And, and what better way to do that than have a skilled athletic offensive tackle? So I think, you're, you know, you're going to see a team in the top ten yep. that's going to love those tangibles and, and the tangibles that he displayed. He's really an, you know, a gregarious, charismatic young man and, and I think they're gonna somebody's gonna fall in love with him, probably like an Arizona at eight or Cleveland. Cleveland, and, yeah. Yeah, I think both of them could use him. So, uh, but he, yeah, he shocked everybody that wasn't aware of what he was capable of doing, and probably shocked a few basement bloggers who thought he was unathletic. <laughs> well, and one of those uh, certainly didn't like the, uh, the the work that AJ Epinesa put in this past weekend and made it very clear on Twitter. But that aside, Doc, and by the way, I, I, on Werfs, it seems like it would be a shock if he gets past Cleveland, if he's still there. I mean, we're going to see a hot go in back-to-back years in the top ten. But AJ Epinesa... Um, Scott, I don't know what the consensus was uh, as far as uh, what his week was, but, man, you just plug in the tape and, and take a look at the, the, the Holiday Bowl for crying out loud. He was unbelievable um, in, in, that, uh, in the bowl game in San Diego. Look no further than that. He's, he really came on late in the season. Uh, where do you see what was kind of the feedback that A.J. Epinesa got uh, pursuant to his work in Indianapolis? It's interesting because the people that I talked to or that, you know, were interested in A.J., the ones who actually knew his style of play and how it works were unaffected by what he was did in the bench in the 40. And, and when you look at the other ones that show more explosiveness, you know, he was eighth among defensive ends in the vertical jump. He was tenth in the in the 20-yard shuttle and, and 11th in the broad jump. Those are explosive power uh, performances, and that's the kind of player he is. He, he didn't run the 40 real well, but he's not going to run the 40-yard dash very often in the NFL. So I think most of the people knew what he was capable of doing. They liked what he was able to do. He's still a first-rounder by far and away. I think I had somebody tweet at me and goes, oh, he's going to fall to the third round like Jared DeVries. I'm like, did you fall on your head when you were a kid? I mean, this guy has been able to play. I mean, nobody had more sacks in Power 5 from November on than A.J. Epineza. So he's going to go, and he's going to make a team really happy. And, you know, maybe it's somewhere between 15 and 25, but he's not falling out of the first round. No way. Let's go to the two defensive backs, Geno Stone, uh, of course, coming out early, and Michael Ojemudia. OJ, he's got something uh, sitting behind him if he doesn't make an NFL career of it. He's got a great degree to go and uh, move on to building cars. But your thoughts on both those guys and what you heard? You know what? Michael Ojemudia, probably of all the players who were there for Iowa, uh, boosted his stock hmm. more than anybody else. Everybody knew that Worst was capable of that performance. He was probably, a, you know, at worst a top 15 guy. But Michael Ojemudia was, uh, you know, he ran a 4-4-5 as a corner, which was ninth best. And his three-cone drill was second among all corners. That's incredible. He's got long arms. 
you know, one of the longest wingspans and, and arm lengths that you'll find among quarterback, cornerbacks. He's a physical tackler. He went and he was one of the best performers of the Senior Bowl week. He might have boosted his stock into that second night. He might be a third-round type of guy, wow. maybe even hot. And uh, so I think he really uh, made some money. Now, Geno Stone did not have a very good combine when you look at the numbers. I mean, they just they aren't. And and I I think it's you're gonna. I think there's gonna be a lot of head scratching maybe going forward. You don't. I don't put all the stock in the obviously into the combine and the numbers. But when you're defensive back, you kind of need to be a little bit bigger and better. Now, again, kind of like with uh, Epineza, a lot of the people who were talking about Geno Stone liked him, liked what he showed on film. He does a lot of things that the that the that the you know the tangibles don't show, which is he's a really good tackler in space. He's a very smart player. He's in the right place. He has great ball skills, and so he's probably that sub package guy. The one question is, you know, do, do these numbers kind of downgrade him on charts to where um, when you get that seventh round and sixth and sixth round, that's when teams either go in two directions: one, let's get the safest guy who can probably make our team, and two, let's kind of roll the dice and get somebody who's a great athlete or. Maybe you got a questionable character, and see if they, we can, you know, score big on somebody. So that winnows the field quite a bit. I mean, Gino's probably a tweener. He understands that uh, as far as whether he gets drafted or not. Uh, but you know, the combine itself wasn't real favorable to him. Uh, final week of college basketball, final regular season week. Of course, we'll uh, have the Big Ten tournament next week, and then there will be NCAA tournament uh, opportunities for the Hawkeyes out there. Five seed is where most of the bracketologists have him head, uh, have them heading into the week. Uh, Doc, uh, the Penn State game was another ter- terrific basketball game. And what a difference. You know, I, I don't think anyone saw the C.J. Frederick's impact on this team uh, being as uh, as big as it has been because, I mean, l- l- they're a different team without him in the lineup, Doc. Uh, C.J. Frederick uh, certainly had a, a big game and part of a nice win for the Hawkeyes this past weekend. He's a difference maker, and that's really impressive. I didn't see it either. I, I You know, before the season, one of my stories, one of the few stories I write on the basketball side was, you know, what player can kind of take that step forward? And they were universal, all the players that C.J. Frederick was that guy, that he's stepped in, he's played well. You kind of take that, though, with a grain of salt. You know, you kind of say, okay, yeah, well, we'll see. Well, no, he's been fantastic, and he's really been the difference between this team being good to potentially very, very good. And and a lot of that is on offense, he bakes shots, and he doesn't make mistakes. You know, the other day he had 10 points, three assists, no turnovers, and he just he moves the ball well, he plays good defense, and perhaps within Iowa's Team. He's so good because uh, he spaces the floor so well and allows other people to have more open opportunities. So, uh, you know, going forward, you know, the one more week of Big Ten play, they have Iowa could be the only Big Ten team to hold serve on, on its home court during the season or uh, league play. Uh, he's got a chance to help them in that. You know, this is really, would you, if you've got a healthy C.J. Frederick, this team's got a real strong potential to get to that second weekend mm-hmm. for the first time in 20, 20 years. And, uh, and I would not rule them out against anybody the way they have played in the Big Ten. So, uh, you know, that, that's exciting if you're an Iowa fan. And certainly uh, it shows the, the versatility among this, uh, this team that he can be so good in so many different areas. From Luca Garza this year, still in running for that National Player of the Year, Meg Augustuson last year, you had A.J. Epinesa, and on and on and on. It's, it's kind of like a golden age of these top-tier players 
for the University of Iowa. We saw good players during the 80s, but this has been a renaissance, that top-level player. We haven't seen this. No, we have not. And uh, I was thinking about that on Saturday and tweeted it out. I mean, you've got Spencer Lee who's going to go for his yeah. third straight national right. title. And, and, you know, Megan Gustafson, as you mentioned, you know, three different, you know, worst performance in Indianapolis. You have a shot putter, I believe, that won the national title for the women's side, shot putter or discus. You have so many great elite athletes for Iowa. It is certainly a golden age. And I think people need to celebrate that. Uh, Keith Duncan's performance. Mm. And, and, then, and then you also look at the team. Uh, this is this is a lot like it was in the 80s for Iowa. I mean, you got the wrestling team that's number one. Women's basketball team's ranked, and, and really the last two years been outstanding. The men's basketball team's ranked, going to finish in the rankings. And you got football that was a top, you know, won 10 games. It was in the top 15. So uh, this this should make you appreciate a little bit what Iowa's been able to accomplish. We've we've all knocked it to some extent, and and rightly so over the years. But I think when you look at the major sports for Iowa. Uh, this is a year you can celebrate, and and it's not over. It's not over by a long stretch. And you've got wrestling that's capable of, of winning its first national title in ten years, and you got men's basketball, as we mentioned, uh, has an opportunity to go to Sweet Sixteen for the first time in a, in a generation. Last thing for you, Scott Dockerman from the Athletic Doc. Uh, look, I, there's a lot of Hawkeye fans that to truly believe that the, it will be a travesty if Fran McCaffrey's not named Big Ten Coach of the Year. He's certainly in consideration, but I don't think it's the foregone conclusion that a lot do, uh, Doc. I just, I just don't. Uh, because of the fact Underwood's got Illinois tied for second, they can still win or be tied for the, at, at, at the top. Um, guard at Wisconsin. I mean, nobody saw this team coming from where the Chambers at Penn State. Point being, Doc, Fran McCaffrey's done a tremendous job, but I don't think it's going to be uh, the slam dunk that a lot of folks think that it will be. What's your th- take on that? I don't think it's a slam dunk at all. There's There are outstanding coaches. I mean, you look at, at Peichel, at, at Rutgers. Peichel's another one, right. You know, brought the, the Scarlet Knights back from the dead. I mean, it's just this has been an outstanding year in Big Ten play for, for coaching, and, and uh, I don't know what that means for the tournament. I think it means that there's probably like six or seven teams that can get to the Sweet 16, and, and who, but I don't know if there's hardly any that can get to the Final Four. I, but I do think Fran needs to be in that conversation. Mm-hmm. This is his best coaching job uh, to lose what they've lost at, through attrition and a four-star recruit his son, Jack Dungey, Jordan Bohannon, short bench. He's had endurance injuries. And, you know, and then the departures in the offseason, you know, Tyler mm-hmm. Cook and Isaiah Moss, and yet here they are. They are, you know, arguably as good as they've been in his career. I think they are the mentally most tough team that he's had. Yep. I do believe he deserves a lot of the, that those votes. Whether he gets it or not, I don't know. I guess it's up to the people voting, but I think he needs to. there is a strong, solid case for him to be coached. No question. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. You and Mark have a podcast right. coming out later today? Yeah, yeah. We're going to re-record here fairly soon, and it should be a lot of fun today because we were both in Indy last week. Good stuff. We'll look for it. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. This this Big Ten Coach of the Year, Trent, It's I think it's... I mean, I would vote for McCaffrey. Yes, um, but we're also closer. To we're it. also closer. Look at what look what Underwood's doing at Illinois, or yeah. has done at Illinois. Guard, this Wisconsin team was left for dead. Boy, Minnesota, just find a way one game after another. Trent, they just can't finish. There, there is a now a half dozen games where Gopher fans could look at oh. it and say, "It's not." You have those games over the course of a basketball season, but they blew games, games mm-hmm. that you shouldn't lose. An eight point lead against Iowa late. 
let that dissipate very quickly. Of course, what we saw of Maryland this week and, and had plenty of opportunities against the Badgers in that one. This is going to be a season I think they're going to be kept up late. So it would be McCaffrey for you, though? If Yes, just because I'm closer to it. Just yeah. as, as Doc mentioned, I mean, you know, the two guys that left early, and we thought Cook might be leaving early, Moss, and then the injuries this year. Wasn't sure Bohannon was going to play at all, but then you throw in Nunji and Patrick McCaffrey and C.J. Frederick being in and out of the lineup. Um, no slam dunk. If you had to vote, what would you do? They could be Underwood for me. Yeah, it's close. Maybe Sunday's game will determine who wins it. <laughs> How about right? that? All right, you've got a game coming up. Southeast Polk and Johnson. You're going to switch microphones and head to your spot for broadcasting the game. Uh, good game. What are you yeah. expecting? It should be six a really versus good game. three, right? Three yep. six matchup. These uh, teams play a little less than a month ago. They played at Southeast Polk and Johnston won that. Did one. Did you have that game? No, it did not. Seventy nine seventy though the final there in that one. So high scoring. Both these teams like to get up and down the floor. Two really good guards, Maya McDermott on one side, and Coach Daly, Tracy Daly, her daughter's a freshman on the Southeast Polk team. So you were mentioned her the other day. She's really fun to watch, yeah. really talented for a freshman. Uh, and her older brother, Jackson at Southeast Polk, quarterback, do you see he got an offer from Michigan? Did he really? Yeah. How about that Daly failing? <laughs> oh, my gosh. A couple of athletes going through there. Yeah, no surprise with uh, dad that played football at Iowa and mom was a, a great basketball player in her own right. So uh, really cool to see those kids and, and how well they're doing. Should be a great one coming up here with Johnston against Southeast Polk. Then we'll have updates with Waukee. They play uh, Sioux City East, who pulled the bug, big upset last year against last week against Dowling. That'll be uh, the second game of our local interest and updates all week long presented by Grinnell Mutual. Good. Good stuff. All right, grab a glass of water. You've got some work to do tomorrow. We're going to go heavy on the basketball uh, with uh, Iowa State and Iowa, both uh, senior days, respectively. We'll do that. We'll do some Valley stuff as well. A busy Tuesday on Miller and Condon. Uh, coming up this afternoon, we've got Murph and Eddie. They will slide in here at 2. The Fanatics at uh, 4 o'clock. Iowa State Coaches Show tonight begins at 6.30. Uh, tomorrow, 6 a.m., local programming resumes once again uh, uh, the Morning Rush will be on your dial at 6 a.m. Trent and I back tomorrow at 10. Thanks for being with us. We're Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.1.